This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. Now today we speak to Bradley C. Freeman. He's a media professor and associate dean at Sunway University about whether tech giants should pay online news and local media content. Good morning, Prof. Brad. Before we get into the controversy and the discussions about basically compelling the likes of Facebook and Google to pay local online news portals, let's just get to the root cause about how we consume our news now. I mean, do you have a sense of how big the online platform is? Do you still read a physical newspaper? I don't. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. I don't read a physical newspaper, but I love it when I get the chance to. I was recently back in my hometown in the States and it was a Sunday and I thought I'm, you know, I'm walking past the counter at the drugstore. I saw the paper there. I said, I want to read that paper. Then I saw the price. It was five US dollars for a Sunday paper uh, back in my hometown, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And I thought five dollars is a little steep. You know, we're talking over 20 ringgit, a newspaper. And then I said, I, I think... I think I'll, I'm happy to read online. <laughs> <laughs> but you're the reason, right, why many newspapers are struggling now, because people don't want to purchase that bulky and expensive piece of paper. And because news is so dynamic and flowing, why would I want a static document to be up to keep myself up to date, isn't it? Well, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, for those of us of a certain age, which I shall not divulge mine, no matter how many times you ask me, um, but for those of us of a certain age, we are are familiar with the physical medium. We, we love books. We enjoy the newspaper because we're familiar with them and we knew what it was like. But the fact is that it's not convenient. And I have an e-reader now. I have a couple and I prefer to read my books on my e-reader. Wasn't always the case, but it's become the case. And it's the same with my news media consumption. I'm now just used to it being in a digital format and that's the way I, I use it. They still prefer it. And this is the existential crisis that I think most uh, media agencies are experiencing now. Is this an anomaly? Have they have they not always experienced existential crises as different mediums and formats come? How serious is this situation compared to what you've seen it in the past 30, 40, 50 years? Not betraying your age in the whole process. That's right. Well, yes, it, history repeats itself. And so we're seeing this again and again. And I've uh, I talk about this in my classes a lot. And the fact is that if you look back, each new medium has brought its own set of issues or problems. And there, there's so much to talk about here. I just I I have to pause for a moment to think where where to jump in and where to tell the story from, because there's so much there. But if you look back historically, when radio came out, it used a lot of the news information from the newspapers and the newspapers saw a decline in their subscribers and in their revenue. So they they got together, they uh, formed what was called a Biltmore Agreement. It was named after the hotel where this uh, agreement was made. And the radio stations agreed that they would give attribution to the news stories that they would get from the newspapers. And they would only do it in a limited way. So in other words, after that, the, the radio stations in a, in a way became, became kind of trailers for the newspapers. And the newspapers saw 
you know, their fortunes uh, reverse again. Uh, we can also look at the Rocky Mountain News. This is a newspaper in the United States of America that went out of business in, I think, 2009, 2010. And it was right around the time when, you know, the social media was really starting to hit and people were starting to get their news more from social media. And the, and the newspaper was not seeing that money come back to them and they went out of business. And a lot of people feel if they had just, you know, hung in there for a few more years, they could have figured out, uh, these, these new ways, the new business models, uh, to affect change and to stay in business. So yes, it, the history tells us a lot about this particular situation. There's a lot to, um, to dive into there. I think the interesting debate you talk about, that agreement between radio and paper about the source of attribution speaks to the importance of how newspapers was the source of information, how newspapers and these media agencies didn't talk too much about the physical format, but really that they were the fountain of information, get all this you know verified, fact-checked information there. But it's the problem now, isn't it, that you don't rely on newspapers as the core source of information. That's why that model, that agreement that took place with radio won't pass master now. Well, it's absolutely true. And the what we're seeing today is most people, we, ha, we live in a high choice media environment. And so it wasn't always the case. It, if you look back before social media, before the internet, things were a lot more cut and dried. It was a lot easier to see who the players were and what they were bringing to the table. Nowadays, when we are surfing our social media feeds, we're never quite sure where that information is necessarily coming from. And more and more, this is how people are getting their news. So it's a, it's a form of what the researchers call distributed discovery. And it also, uh, it implies that for a lot of people, they are being incidentally exposed to news rather than seeking it out. And at the same time, you can also think in some other areas, I like to use the example of Spotify versus the music radio station. Okay, so uh, some people prefer to create their own music playlists. But the problem with that is that if you continue down that path and you don't expose yourself or allow yourself to be exposed to sort of serendipitous music and and, and or information, then you enter into a kind of a, a filter bubble or echo chamber and the algorithms will will track you. So in other words, if you only use Spotify, how are you going to be exposed to new music? And the, the answer to that is that, well, we are not only listening to Spotify. We also are exposed to radio stations. We also are exposed to our friends' Spotify playlists. We also, so there are other ways. So this is the same in the news media and, and information. But certain people will seek out news and information and others don't want to. And And so- but that hasn't changed. Some people are more interested in the news and politics and how things run. And some other people are more interested in art or in music. Now, the problem with that is, of course, that uh, in order for our society to function properly, we need enough people paying enough attention so that we can get things done and so that we can make sure that society is running, you know, properly. If you look back in time, one of the U.S. presidents, Thomas Jefferson, 
Uh, we were talking a moment ago about newspapers um, and, you know, how they were sort of the fount of information historically. And Thomas Jefferson said, famously said, uh, should we have a situation of governments without newspapers or newspapers without governments, he would prefer the latter. He, he's, he would want newspapers rather than governments. But there was a stipulation in that quote, in, in what he was saying, and that was that everybody had to read those newspapers and understand them. And so he was essentially uh, advocating for media literacy back in a, you know, in an age when that we didn't even know what that term would have would have been. And so that's the key here. It's media literacy. Should newspapers shape society or is society shaping the structure of the new, how newspaper is being news is being conveyed? I mean, for example, I purchase a newspaper now, and I mean, I used to study in the UK. There are like multiple sections, right? Of the newspaper, there are pullouts, they are catering for different sub segments. It's becoming so segmented. It used to be a much thinner, integrated broadsheet, but now you've got pullouts, you've got all sorts of lifestyle components. It doesn't become a source of information, but more a piece of editorial content that has different facades for the same paper. Well, you're right. And this is how the media outlets differentiate themselves with between one another. I mean, having a piece of information is one thing. And you don't need 10 outlets to just give you the basic facts. Uh, that's not going to work. So over the year, but it used to be so. I mean, if you look back historically, that was more or less true, that the media outlets wanted to give you the facts. And and somewhere along the way, and it, it probably happened a lot with cable news, television, the 80s and 90s, we started to get more prominent individual reporters who wanted to go beyond the story. They had more time, you know, to fill. And suddenly people started to follow them. And this is sort of how this, you know, this idea of differentiation and opinion sharing uh, came into play. If you look in the United States, it happened a lot on the radio stations with talk radio specifically. Mm. Uh, there were a lot of radio announcers who uh, were just giving their take on the news. And there were a lot of people who were like, hey, you know what? I don't have a lot of time to figure out all this stuff. This is a voice that I've heard a long time who makes a lot of sense to me. And although I may not believe everything they're saying or go along with everything, I kind of go along with the majority of what they're saying. And so it, yes. it becomes easier to have that interpretive function. That's right. They're becoming opinion opinion pieces, right? They're not necessarily stating the facts. They're just interpreting the facts and just stating their position and opinion. As a result, these agencies are becoming highly partisan and they're not catering to broader society, but specific segments of society. Well, absolutely. And in communication research, we, we call these, there are a lot of different terms, but some are called opinion leaders, others are called change agents. And it, it goes back to this uh, two-step flow and multi-step flow of information. But it, it turns out that as individuals, we are not capable of knowing everything all the time about everything. And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot to know. So how do we get by? Well, most of the time, we have friends and or family and others who we know that they are uh, knowledgeable in a particular area. And so talk radio show hosts or reporters, they can fulfill these roles, uh, especially if they work for a media organization where they're getting paid to do so. So 
it doesn't work all the time, but we, we sort of know. So, for example, if somebody is paid to review movies, uh, we may disagree with them. They may like the latest movie and we may not. Uh, but it, but over time, we get used to the way that they write things. And so we can read between the lines and understand things if they're there long enough. Now, one of the other things we can do is we can look at user-generated content on social media. So we can look at our friends and family and see what they're looking at, what they're watching. Mm. And and then that's another way, you know, that we can uh, have uh, confirmation bias uh, of, of what we think uh, or we can disagree. Now, if, if you disagree enough, one of the negative things about social media is it may, the algorithms may start taking certain news and information out of your diet and you may not even be aware of it. And that is a, a potential negative effect because ideally you want to be exposed to all kinds of news and information, the marketplace of ideas and information. And and we call this the public sphere. And uh, that concept comes to us from a, a German thinker, Jürgen Habermas. And he basically was writing about, he didn't write about the media. He was thinking kind of before that time. And he would, although he did say that having newspapers, a really good newspaper that was transparent, that was open, that was giving people information was very important to a knowledgeable society. He also believed that we needed to have places where we could go and decide discuss the issues of the day without fear of uh, recrimination or, or criminality. And, and so for him, these would have been coffee shops in, in Europe and Germany. And so for him, uh, having a great newspaper and having a coffee shop was the backbone of, you know, serving democracy. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with Bradley C. Freeman, Professor and Associate Dean at Summer University. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show, we speak to Bradley C. Freeman, Professor and Associate Dean at Sunway University, about the pressure global news media agencies are facing all around the world. Professor, how do you put value to truth, to facts, to news? And this is the central problem to why you see so much pressure on the likes of Facebook and Google being compelled or being asked by certain countries like Australia and Canada to start paying these news media outlets because they are essentially platforms. They're actually town squares, right, for people to con to consume information and they're just extracting information for free from these verified true sources. But how do you put value to the news? Well, that's right. The This is a very interesting question because I talk about this in my classes and it's we know that if you create a song that you can have the intellectual property rights for that song and you can control essentially who gets to play it or where it's played or, or how you get paid for it. But if there is a news item, then who controls that? And, and is it is it proprietary? And that's the difference between news information and sort of entertainment content. But, you know, over the years, we've gotten uh, a lot better at making infotainment. So making news entertaining is one way that uh, people can get attention to it. If you look uh, in the U.S., probably about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, there were a lot of comedians on on television that were doing news and they were actually getting more views and people were saying that they were getting their news from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart than they were from actual news and information shows. So people like to have a little bit of comedy with their news as well. It turns out the court jester often is the one in the room that you know, has the opportunity to tell the truth, even if it's cloaked in in humor. But so in 2021, the Australian government introduced legislation. It, it was called the News Media and Digital Platforms Mandatory Bargaining Code. And it requires tech giants like Google and Meta to pay the agencies for links and news searches on their platforms. Definitely seen as a win for larger media agencies, but 
it's worth noting that the smaller ones may have been left out due to their lack of bargaining power. And then we saw Canada try this and the big tech was saying, whoa, wait a minute. What happened here is the following, and that is Australia was was smart. They were quick to get out in front and to make these deals. And the big tech company said, well, you know, we don't really have any stake down in down under. And so it's, that is an important market for us. So let's make a deal with them. And then when Canada came on board and said, well, we want to try this, then big tech got a little nervous because they started to see the penguins lining up to dive into the water. Hmm. And, you know, the dominoes were going to start clicking. And that's why they're holding the line right now. And we're still not sure as of this moment what's going to happen. What Ideally, what I have advocated for is a global news media rights content organization, similar to the ASCAPs and BMIs of the world for music. In other words, you know, perhaps we could create a, a global organization to which news media outlets could subscribe or be members of, and the big tech uh, would pay into that, and then royalties could be paid out from that. It's just a preliminary idea, but I think what it would do is it would give ch- the standoff uh, a channel or a pathway where it could go. I don't think it's sustainable hmm. to sit where we are right now. Something's got to give. And I don't know. I don't know what. I but think, big tech is worried. Yeah, I'm sure big tech is worried. Yeah. And it does make sense that a global solution is required. A global kind of exchange or framework is needed here. Shouldn't the likes of the United States and Europe take the lead on this? Because once they jump into the pool, then everybody, everybody follows suit, isn't it? Because they are big enough to wield influence. That's right. And so it might come from there. Remember that a lot of what's happening with the Internet and with digital media and with legislation and with governments and privacy, it's all being decided now. It's kind of like the Wild West. We, we're still in it. I mean, the Internet's been around as a commercial medium since the 1990s and social media has been around since the early aughts. Hmm. And so we have 20, 25 years, and yet we're still uncertain. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the pace of development and change that has occurred has been very fast. And so, and there's so much there. And, and it's, it's very difficult to define the borders and boundaries of news media outlets. You know, you can have people reading about something that's happening in China in the New York Times, and they'll even put it in Mandarin language. This this creates a lot of issues because countries are not always ready for this. And I mean, if you look at Netflix as an example in the entertainment industry, Netflix distributes programming, a lot of which in a particular country would would not have come uh, for a long time, if ever. And yet it's there now and it came quickly. And so some countries, you know, they quickly they see some type of content on Netflix and they're like, hey, we need you to block that. Or there's a a tweet on Twitter. We need that to be blocked. Ironically, Elon Musk was, you know, always a proponent for free speech. And he said he had to buy Twitter to, you know, to save the public sphere. And yet, uh, if you look at the statistics during his time in charge of Twitter, he has approved something somewhere in the neighborhood of like 85 percent of takedown and censorship and block requests from government to his platform of Twitter. So that's kind of interesting as well, because we're, we're in an age now where billionaires can decide, you know, basically whether a country has freedom of speech or not. <laughs> and 
and not the countries themselves and not the people. So the question is, you know, do you charge and, and you put up block people from certain information? But then but it's news. So, for example, if there's a big storm coming and I want to read about it uh, on the, the news site mm. and, and then they tell me, well, you have to subscribe to get this information. But what if that information is super relevant for my uh, living situation right now? Do, don't they have an obligation to provide that information to me? And some of them do recognize that and they will make some stories available for free. And and I so it's, it's a contentious issue. I mean, this is so critical in the sense that we always view news media as a fourth estate, as the critical fourth pillar, right? of society as a whole, the whole conversation we've had, it's really about how does government get involved in some form of legislation? Or do you get some capitalists like Jeff Bezos buying the Washington Post, Elon Musk buying the town square to kind of shape the conversation per se? But in the end, you want it independent. You want it to be able to serve society well, but still be self-sustaining. That is the central challenge we have, isn't it? How do you maintain the integrity of the fourth estate? That's right, because there are different models for news creation and distribution, and there are different ways to fund that. So, and in different countries, that will be, we'll also find different ways. So, um, you know, many new news organizations have been experimenting with digital subscriptions, membership models, sponsored content, native advertising, crowdfunding, micropayments. You know, they will also reach out uh, to, for, you know, philanthropy and uh, events. And generally, the name of the game is diversification. The more ways that you can try to build revenue, the better. Um, but you also have to be careful about that. I mean, sponsored content, when it comes next to, you know, investigative journalism, for example, uh, causes uh, question marks in people's minds because they, they are sure they have to be able to tell the difference. Mm. Otherwise, they're going to get suspicious uh, of, you know, of a particular outlet. And yet the outlet might say, well, but we need to do that in order to be able to continue operating. And so have to take this with that. And so we're going to see uh, how, how it goes in the future. I, I think one of the models from education works, and that is the endowment model where, you know, if an outlet can build up a large chunk of change and they can sort of live off the interest of that, they're going to have some uh, greater capabilities. If you look at national public radio in the States, they are like that. They're, um, I think when the founder of McDonald's passed on, he left a lot of money to national public radio and they so they have these millions of dollars and they they can keep that in their bank account as the principal and then they sort of operate off a lot of the interest from that Prof, thank you so much. That was Bradley C. Freeman, a professor and associate dean at Sunway University, about whether tech giants should pay online news and local media content. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next, the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9.